Chances are, important updates from your company come in the form of lengthy emails and meetings. Now, with uStudio, there's a better way to communicate. uStudio helps your business host, manage, and distribute secure, private podcasts in audio and video formats. Approved users can access confidential training, product updates, weekly messages from the CEO, and more from any device, anytime. Request a free personalized demo today at the letter ustudio.com. And be sure to mention you heard it on Equity. Good morning and happy start to the week, everybody. You are listening to Equity Monday, TechCrunch's kickstart to your week with a brief look at the private and public markets, the latest early stage news, and what's percolating around in our heads as we get started. As a reminder, Equity's regular long-form dives, often with guests, still come out each and every Friday. Just a few days ago, TechCrunch's managing editor and a former VC, no less, Danny Crichton and I tore through a host of topics from last week, including the SoftBank layoffs, the Lilly AI Series A, forklifts, and a lot more. That's coming up right after this. Got that? Cool. All right, it's January 13th. I am Alex Wilhelm, and you are listening to Equity Monday, your jumpstart to work. What happened over the weekend? Well, we got stuck in an article by TechCrunch's own Brian Heater that said CES was a snooze fest. Now, his argument wasn't that CES was a boring, absolute catastrophe out in the desert run by corporate sycophants. Instead, he made a very interesting point about a snooze fest, literally, as in there was lots and lots of sleep tech at CES. Now, all of that tech kind of landed in three main buckets, simple sleep trackers, the stuff you kind of already know about, brain trainers for better sleep, which sounds a bit more scientific to me, and tools to change your sleep environment. I presume this went a little bit past blackout shades. Now, he's not sure how many gadgets that he saw at CES in the sleep market will actually make it. He closed by saying that, quote, as long as technology continues to disrupt and generally reduce the quality of our sleep, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to make a mint helping users attempt to get some of it back. So it's one of those catch-22s, you know, sleep is hard because we're on our phones too much, so here's some tech to make that better. It's a bit like caffeine after alcohol. It'll kind of help, but are you really healthy? Who knows? Wrapping last week, Facebook's shares closed out at their highest level ever after setting an all-time record high on Thursday before closing it Friday at $218.06 per share. So if you're thinking about the tech lash and what's happened to Facebook, well, it doesn't look that bad. Big Zuck is now worth just under $622 billion. Now, to put that number in, you know, a bit of context, Apple, in contrast, is valued at over twice that sum at $1.36 trillion as of this morning. Microsoft just about double at $1.23 trillion, and SaaS stocks are back to record levels. I bring all that up to give you a bit of context. Don't forget, these are the good times. Stocks are at record highs, the big tech are worth trillions of dollars, even SaaS stocks are back to record levels, pushing SaaS valuations up to really historic highs. If you're building a company, or if you're trying to sell your company, or you're raising money for your company, uh, this is about as warm as it gets. So enjoy it, it won't last, but at least for today, things are fantastic. Finally, as last week came to a close, Casper filed to go public, kicking off a huge run of commentary and tweets and blog posts, snark, counter-snark confusion. It was such a big deal that even the kind of famous and well-known venture capitalist Bill Gurley wound up weighing in on unprofitable unicorns. He said in a tweet that, quote, increasingly, it seems like we are entering a new reality in unicorn land. If you have raised more than $250 million and are not public, the presumption is you are losing way too much money and you probably have, quote, shitty unit economics and probably need to do a layoff. 
Now, why does that tag into the Casper IPO? Well, Casper raised over $250 million, and that tweet came out after it filed to go public. For Casper, the situation is a combination of sticky net losses, slowing growth, persistent cash burn, and all that together can make for a hard final private valuation to meet as a public company. But backed with $340 million in private capital, there's a lot of bets riding on this IPO. The company's most obvious comp, or comparable if you will, Purple, reported positive operating income, net income, and adjusted profit in its most recent quarter. Casper doesn't have those things, which means that investors might not be too excited about its high sales and marketing spend. That said, taking a company public is hard, nearly no one pulls it off, so don't go overboard with the dunks, just focus on the facts. Looking ahead, earnings season is upon us, but not really in the tech or venture-backed world. Things will kick off a lot more next week if you care about companies like Netflix and IBM and Intel. Those companies give us kind of a broad look at how companies are doing in the tech space. Now, those don't really directly reflect on startups per se, but certainly they help set the tone. The week after next is Apple, Facebook, and PayPal, so that's all coming up soon. The week ahead looks a bit regular, though this morning there was some new news that you will see bouncing around your Twitter feed, which is that after much controversy, the formerly embattled CEO of Away, the suitcase unicorn we've talked about on this show ad nauseum, will be coming back as the co-CEO after stepping back from that role late last year. And all of this is according to an oddly deferential New York Times opinion write-up. Now, apparently the CEO who apologized profusely and stepped down now thinks that was a mistake. Don't forget that she said that what she said that was leaked to the press was, quote, wrong, plain and simple. Apparently, it wasn't that wrong, plain and simple. How the company's actual staff will react remains to be seen, but expect more leaks to come out from away. And just keep in mind that it's hard to be the CEO, but also treating people poorly is never okay. Now let's turn to our regular look at interesting recent early stage funding rounds. Today we have two. First up is Epify, or E-P-I-F-I, we'll find out how to pronounce that later on, which has raised a $13.2 million seed round led by both Sequoia India and Rivet Capital. Now, according to TechCrunch's Manish Singh, this round values the neo-banking startup at about $50 million. That's why it caught our eye this morning. How does a seed stage company get such a high valuation? Well, in this case, as it turns out, founder resumes seem to be the reason. According to Singh, the founders of the company are the two former co-founders of what became Google Pay India. You've heard of Google, you've heard of Google Pay, you've heard of India. It's probably a pretty big deal. Now, their neobank, which is what Epify is, is targeting the same country. And that might seem strange, but you're probably behind in how big internet access has become in India. Everyone knows India is a very populous country with lots of internet access, but not everyone knows that, according to the Economic Times, with 451 million monthly active internet users, the paper said in September of 2019, India is now second only to China in terms of internet users according to a report by Internet and Mobile Association of India. So not only is India an enormous economic superpower and very populous, it's also the number two market for internet. That's a lot of folks. Now, Epify is eight months old, and its neo-banking service, according to TC, will, quote, focus on serving millennials in India. The co-founders told us so, at least. Closer to home, neo-banking has become a boom here in America as well, and that's because domestic banking tech is bad. American banks charge insane fees on small accounts, and they effectively take too much money from low-income and underbanked folks. Unclear what will happen in India, but certainly there's a lot of money now betting that Epify is the next big thing. 
Second today, LegalPad just raised a $10 million Series A in a round led by Amplo. Crunchbase News' Natasha Moscarenas wrote the key story on this, and according to her writing, the round also saw capital from Global Founders Capital, 8VC, Liquid2 Ventures, Tecton Ventures, Gangels, and Collate Capital. Now, why do we care about it? Well, the startup uses a, quote, mix of software and attorney aid to navigate the visa process for startup employees. That's why we care. The global market for top tech talent is hot, and the U.S. is still a top place to go to. However, with the current administration, you've probably heard, international workers in the U.S. aren't having the easiest time coming to or staying in the United States. That's where LegalPad kind of comes in. See, not all venture-backed companies are frivolous. Now, to wrap this morning, I want to talk about Casper's IPO. We mentioned it earlier on, but let's just pause and think for a second. You might be curious why Casper is taking so much criticism. After all, its IPO filing showed a growing company with gross margins of around 50%, which is probably higher than you guessed. That's pretty good for a non-software company. So why all the opprobrium? It's kind of because the economics look a little bit odd. Now, in the first three quarters of 2019, the company sold about $400 million in stuff. Now, $80 million of that was refunded, returned, or discounted, leaving the company with about $312 million in revenue. From that, the company generated gross profit of about $155 million, about 50%. Here's the thing, though. Of that gross profit of $155 million, it then spent $114 million in the same nine-month period on sales and marketing costs. So that didn't leave a lot of other gross profit to pay for operating costs that weren't just sales and marketing. This led to an operating loss in those same three quarters of $67 million. And so the company's operating costs the last year from the time period that we know are about 50% higher than its gross profit. And that's pretty unprofitable, frankly. And here's the kind of the conundrum the company is in. If it slows down its sales and marketing spend, its growth could slow down. So can it cut its spend to get closer to profitability without slowing its growth so much that it's no longer an attractive investment? That's the big question. And why, also, really, after over $300 million in private capital, can't it actually be much closer to profitability, let alone make money? Just don't get too giddy on the dissing. The company is big enough to go public, and most days I still can't find matched socks. So let's keep our perspectives in mind here. That's all we got. Next, hit up Friday's episode with Danny, which has all the week's news and what you need to know from the world of private capital, private companies, and truant unicorns. It is January 13th, 2020. I'm Alex Wilhelm. This is Equity Monday, and you are tremendous. Talk soon.